0: Um, We are going to continue reading the Word together, if you can stand with me. Uh, Each week we read two passages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, that directly relate to what it is that we will be uh, studying in uh, the Word. And this morning, of course, we're focused on discipleship, and we will be for the next seven weeks, actually. Uh, But the first one, if your eyes are on the screen here... We'll start with Isaiah 8.16. Let's read it together. Bind Bind up the testimony. Testimony. Seal Seal the wall among my disciples. disciples. Even in the Old Testament, God wanted disciples. Way back when. He's always had a desire that his followers uh, be disciples. And so the next passage in Ephesians 5.8. For For you you were once darkness, but but now you are light Lord walk as children of light. Not only were we once in darkness, it says we were darkness. And not only are we now in the light, according to the Scriptures, we are light. Jesus' light has gone directly in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to understand these things this morning as we open up the Word a little bit more. I think some of these things will come more to light what the Lord would have us to understand understand and apply in our lives. I want to continue to pray for revival. We've been praying for several years. It did not happen in a church. Uh, we're, you know, it, we've got so much evil, and so much hatred, and so much vitriol, and so much lust, and so much addictions, and all these different things, and there's even a lot of sin in the church. And you know what revival is? Revival is when God himself... Individually, some of you are already disciples. You're not perfect, but you're faithful disciples. Some of you are not yet disciples. God knows it. You know it. But some of you are. Some of you are faithful disciples. If you died right now, Jesus would say to you, well done, good and faithful. You won't say perfect, good and faithful servant. But revival is when God falls upon a people like Nineveh and everyone realizes Instead of running from God, they run to God and fall before God. We know that hasn't happened in Washington. We know that hasn't happened in Hollywood. We know that hasn't happened in big business. We know that hasn't happened in most of our country. Most people still count on themselves, rely on themselves, and they kind of give excuses to God as opposed to have mercy upon me. Because when you ask for mercy... God will give mercy, and he will then change us and transform us. So revival is God all of a sudden just gripping a group of people and at one time, and that's what we're praying for. And I pray that God sends a revival on us here, but also outside these four walls. But even before a revival, we have a choice today to be disciples, and we'll be looking at that. So uh, both, are, both are necessary. If America never sees a revival, I want to walk into heaven saying, I did all that I could to serve Jesus. But on the other hand, God may just answer that prayer one day. We might just see thousands come to Christ right here in Chesterfield County. And it won't be because you were a great witness or just because God grips their heart and they realize, whoa. I, I don't know if you've been, have you, any of you seen these massive fires in Australia? Yeah. People there living there say, it looks like the apocalypse. But when they start saying, it looks like I need to turn to God, now you have people's attention. Because yeah. a lot of times people say, yeah, I have cancer, but... Oh, well, life is short. But when you hear people say, can you tell me the gospel? Can you tell me how my soul can be saved? That's when God revives a heart, amen? He opens eyes. We were once darkness, it says. We were in darkness, we were darkness, and he's opened our eyes. And so we're praying that God would do the same uh, for those that don't know him and those that do know him and are afar off and just kind of have drifted, that they would come back to the place of being refreshed by the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts. We can pray for revival, but only you can send it. Only you can save 3,000 in a day like you did at Pentecost. It wasn't because Peter was a great preacher. it's because you're a great Savior. It wasn't because Jonah, he didn't even want to be in Nineveh. But you, Lord, opened their eyes. You brought them to their knees. Lord, I pray that we would be on our knees and our hearts. And even literally, Lord, we get on our knees and just ask for your help. Lord, we need a revival in Calvary Chapel, Richmond. You want every person in this room to be a disciple. Lord, open our eyes. Soften our hearts. Lord, bring a cleansing and a purifying. You desire you, us to be holy even as you are holy. But we can't do it in our own strength. We need your help. We need you to open the eyes of our leaders and our family members that are still lost and our neighbors and Lord, our co-workers, and Lord, we pray that you would just bring an outpouring of your Spirit. But let it start with your people. And Lord, not just here, but around the world. All of our missionaries and uh, our good friends, whether they be in Guatemala or Uganda or India, around the world, Lord, we pray that you would send revival to those countries and those places as well. For you died for the whole world. We pray, Lord, that uh, this morning... You would remove every distraction that, Lord, any influence of Satan, Lord, just put him outside the building that we would hear from Jesus. Calm our spirits, open our eyes, soften our hearts, give us rest this morning as we surrender to you. Our surrender is the place of rest. And we just surrender our hearts now, Lord, we ask for your righteousness, your peace your plan, your purpose to be accomplished in us this morning is in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to two places. And if you have a if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 5 to start with. Starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 14. And then just hold your place in the 28th chapter. One, one book. You don't have to be in multiple books. One book. Matthew. Starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. Interesting. Jesus is the light of the world. He says elsewhere, he says, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp to put put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But back to that 14th verse, you are the light. And really what it means is a, uh, we're a photograph. We're a photograph of the light of Jesus. He is the light, but then he makes us a little replica for his glory. Turn over to the 28th chapter, the parting words of Jesus. Great commission found in the 28th chapter, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Aren't you glad he has the authority? And he's going to give us a commission right here. Go. Go. Doesn't say those of you that have the gift of exhortation. Doesn't say those of you that are outgoing. Doesn't say those of you that are really smart, doesn't say those of you that have great skills, everyone. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Very important. That's why we teach here. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We understand the power of that word, too. Amen. We agree. It is settled. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you again. We thank you, Lord, that we have your words. We're not, we're not wondering, what should we do in 2020? Lord, how should we live our lives? What should be our priorities? You've given them to us. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us direction that your word is a lamp, that you're the light, that we're simply a reflection. We're, we're the moon reflecting the light of the sun. But, Lord, we are to be a light. You've called us to be your disciples. And, Lord, we pray that we would have, as you said often, ears that are listening, hearts that are listening. Lord, remove the scales from our eyes. And, Lord, any resistance that we might be fully yielded to the voice of the Spirit, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> As we start this uh, new year, and in fact, a whole new decade, can you believe it? Remember Y2K? What's going to happen? Will my Windows PC crash? Will Will everything go wrong? 20 years, we're now into the 21st century. It is really good for us. In fact, it's essential for us to return to the foundational principles of our faith in Jesus. The foundations always matter. They're the cor- Jesus is what? The chief cornerstone. We're looking at cornerstone teaching today and actually for the next few weeks. This series has been on my heart for many months, going back to at least uh, May or June. But the truths that we'll look at have been in the scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus, and in the obedient work of the church for 2,000 years, everything we just read everything we'll be looking at. Now we know the primary reason that Jesus came to the earth. It's why we just celebrated his coming. We know from the words of Gabriel to Joseph, and from the words of Jesus himself, at his coming, that his coming to earth was to what? Save. The whole reason he came was to save. The angel said he'll save his people from their sins. Not from their difficult life or they don't have the job they want. From their sins. Jesus said himself, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. Not that which didn't have as much fun as they were hoping to have or didn't have as much money. as they, No. Lost. John 3.16 is predicated on number one Jesus being sent. Number two, that we would believe in him. And number three, that his work would keep us from what? Perishing, right? He had to be sent, we had to believe, and if those things happen, then we wouldn't perish or die. That his provision and our believing would save us from sin, would save us from death, would save us from hell. Our salvation was priority number one, but it was also phase one. Did you hear that? It was priority one, but it was also phase one, provided God gives us more days to live in his grace. Now, if the day you got saved was also your last day on earth, like the thief on the cross, then salvation, which was priority one and phase one, would be the totality of your testimony. That's the thief on the cross. Phase one, priority one, taken care of. Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. That's the totality of the thief on the cross testimony. This is why we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2.5. It's not of works. It's not of ourselves. Nothing. It's Jesus plus what? Nothing. That's it. We're saved by grace. Now, that being said, if we've been saved and we're not the thief on the cross, this day of our salvation is not our last day. We know we've contributed nothing to our salvation, but we're now called to something. Does that make sense? If you're still alive, you've been called to something. And that something is called phase two of what? Discipleship. Discipleship. According to Jesus, his saved followers are all called to be disciples. It's the whole reason we're still here and the reason Jesus established his church. Jesus saves because he what? He loves us. But he has us here on earth to sanctify us, to make us more like him and to send us, i.e., to minister to one another. That's our sending to each other and as witnesses in this world. This is the lifestyle mission of the individual disciple and the church at large, to become more like Christ and to minister for Christ. And he gave us his Holy Spirit to ensure that otherwise... This would be impossible to live out. You agree with that? We have to have the Holy Spirit. And praise God for his word and for his spirit. Or the truths that we'll be looking at this morning in this series, they would be an exercise in futility. Instead, this series is an invitation to victory and the very joy and the very peace That Jesus, what? He promises. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, Be Light, How and Why We Live as Disciples of Christ. Both the how and the why are equally important. And the scriptures address both with clarity and prescriptive guidance. And both the how and the why of discipleship living are connected to the what of it. What is discipleship living? What does this even mean? Which will be our focus the next six Sundays. Uh, Sunday the 12th all the way through through February 16th. Provided there's no snow, (laughs) that we don't lose electricity, and I don't get sick. That's kind of the goal. And we'll look at 12 discipleship principles and commitments, two per week, that'll help us to grow. Check one thing here. That'll help us to grow and become more like Christ individually and within our families and with each other and help us to fulfill the mission and kingdom of God within this whole CCR family, but also to be lights out there outside these four walls. Now, we know we've been called to do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. Above everything else. We all know that the commandments rest on two, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the starting point. And the commitment of the heart to put God first and his kingdom first. That's the starting point. If we're not going to put God first, none of the rest will matter. But discipleship, it gets even more detailed and more prescriptive so we know the priorities and the patterns of living and what Christ has called us to do. So we have these 12 areas over the next six weeks when we could focus less or more on discipleship areas, ultimately, you know, we could, we could focus on four, we could focus on 12, but we're going to focus on the ones that the Lord's given me. Ultimately, that's the Lord's heart for 2020. I'm going to ask you to stop. Let's just pray for a moment. Let's pray again for God's work on this service, on me, on you that the Lord would help each and every one of us to be the disciple he's called us to be. Do you believe God's called you? Do you believe the Spirit is speaking to you? Not just this morning, but just over the last year, a couple of years. Let's just pray again and ask for his help. Lord, we just bow before you again. Lord, we don't want to just go through this study. We want the study to go through us. We want your Spirit Speak to us. We want to be yielded. We want to live these things out that we're going to be looking at. And I just pray for the help of your Spirit for me to teach it as you've given it to me. But Lord, that I would learn as well as my brothers and sisters that, Lord, each of us, Lord, would come with soft hearts, ready to become, ready to step into, ready to apply what you've given us. Lord, again, I just pray for your anointing. Your strength, your help this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Ultimately, this is what the Lord's put on my heart for 2020. And I don't know why 12. There were 12 tribes, there were 12 disciples. There's 12 months in a year. God likes this number 12 at times. So we know God's done some great things within the framework of 12. It's not a huge number. But it's more than a few, isn't it? It's not two, but it's not a 1,000. But for whatever reason, we'll focus on these 12 discipleship areas, each directly from the Scriptures, and all of them have been in operation within the church that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. For years, I've referred to the four basic spiritual food groups it's not an original thought of mine, you probably heard it elsewhere. In our lives we have the word prayer, fellowship and witnessing. I've been, you know, these were presented to me when I was a believer in the mid 90s. The four basic food groups of spiritual food. In other words, if we don't feed on these, there's no growth and we'll be spiritually unhealthy. We have to feed on these four things. But I like how Matt Smithhurst categorized these same four areas, if you can see uh, on the screen. Uh, Bible, God to man. Prayer, man to God. Fellowship, believer to believer. And witness, believer to unbeliever. It's a good way to kind of look at those same four spiritual food groups. But we'll be going deeper than these four over the next several weeks though inclusive of these four. Again, they're foundational. They're cornerstone pieces of discipleship. Just as we've seen in our study uh, of the book of Hebrews, the Lord wants us to take what is foundational and have these roots go even deeper so that we're more fruitful, more persevering in the mission and ministry of Jesus. And each week, We'll look at two discipleship principles, and we'll examine them as we-statements. We-statements of personal discipleship and of the church. What do I mean by these we-statements? Well, here's the first two we'll look at next Sunday. We rely on the Word of God. We rely on prayer. Do you rely on the Word of God? Do you rely on prayer? Like The only reason I'm still alive is I rely on these things. I mean it. I really rely on prayer and the word. But we also have these other things. We depend on the Holy Spirit. We're committed to being disciples. It's going to be important because you can have a teaching, but you have to commit to what God's asking. We love each other like family. We share the gospel. We gather to worship. We're grateful and thankful that God has called us to serve. A lot of people are not grateful that they've been called. It's time to become grateful that we've been called to serve. That's a choice. Gratitude is a choice. We take bold steps and sometimes new steps. New steps and bold steps can go hand in hand. Sometimes steps that are not new still take boldness. Amen? Just doing the same thing sometimes takes boldness. not new. It still takes boldness. We work strategically as a unified team. We're a bunch of smaller teams, but we're one team. We give generously as God has given to us. And lastly, we embrace the gift of in need of scriptural rest. It's important that we rest. By the time you get to 11 and 12, what you do with your money and rest will actually be formed by God as opposed to the kind of distorted view that Americans have of both. Both money and rest. It's not a life of leisure. It's not a life of vacay. It's not doing anything you want. By the time we get to 11 or 12, it'll all make really sense and it'll actually be balanced correctly in our lives. Now, Some of these may be brand new to you. Some may not. For me, I can grow in all 12. How about you? I'm preaching to me and to you. I can grow in all 12. I need to grow in all 12. Matter of fact, whatever God wants to do next in my life is predicated on me continuing to grow. That I'd bear much fruit. That you'd bear much fruit. So we'll go through these uh, two a week. Everything starts with the prayer and, and the word. In the subsequent weeks, we'll get into these, and we'll always look at them from an individual perspective, inside our families, the family as a whole, and the lost world outside of us because Jesus is always hitting one, with one arrow, he hits all those bullseyes simultaneously, doesn't he? So they would be operational both in here and beyond here. But this morning, I'm focused mainly on why, why this series Why be disciples? Why now? Why all of us? Why we and the world need it? And why Jesus is reminding us? Let's go back to his words. We just read them together. Jesus, who is the light of the world, has saved us now to what? Reflect his light. And the only way that can happen is if we're following what he's commanded, to be and to make disciples. And we desperately need disciples raised up in 2020. Do you believe that? We desperately, we need thousands more disciples than we have. In this room, we need a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, maybe more disciples than we currently have. I don't mean churchgoers. We have plenty of churchgoers in America, although that's declining by every year. But we have churchgoers, but Jesus didn't call for church. Nowhere did he say in Matthew 28, and go into all the world and make churchgoers. Make people that can sit in a pew, and I mean, they're really good at it. <laughs> and if they can't sit in the pew, they can watch live stream. They're even better at that. They can click it on their app. And people that love teaching. Well, loving teaching, you can love the 12 things. I'm sorry, oh, man, I can teach it. But Will you live it? Because discipleship isn't just knowing it. It's living it out. So we need disciples raised up here in the church, here in America, and certainly here uh, in our own fellowship. Do you believe Christ is Lord enough and has done enough? Let me ask you this. Think about I want you to digest this question. Do you believe Christ is lord enough and has done enough to merit your and my willingness to be disciples. Now if you had to meet Jesus today if he said I'm not I'm not taking you out as far as death. I'm just going gonna, gonna to pop you up onto a cloud and you and I are going to have a one-on-one discussion. You meet Jesus on a cloud. He's got nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet. He's standing there. You actually see the evidence of the cross and he says, I know what Pastor Tim taught today. I want to ask you point blank. Have I done enough to earn your trust as a disciple? And you say, let me think it over. <laughs> You're standing on a cloud talking to Jesus, and you say, let me think it over because I have a lot of important things I want to accomplish in life, and some of your stuff really gets in my way. But that's what we say without saying it. So you might as well say it. Either say it or say, Lord, you've done enough, and you're worthy enough. Has he done enough? Is he worthy enough? Don't you believe that his will and his plans are far more important than your will and your plans? You only have one second after death to know that that is a fact. Or you can know it now and walk in it now. Of course they are. Of course his plans are more important than ours. And they're wiser than ours. And they're more steadfast. And they're more trustworthy than ours. You and I can't even plan the week without lots of things going wrong. And God says, I can order your steps. But you have to follow his steps. How many of you would be okay if you're a practical here? How many of you would be okay with buying a box of light bulbs and only one of them working? <laughs> hey, that's a pretty good deal. You know, I paid five dollars and sixty-four cents. <laughs> one works. Not so bad. And there wasn't zero. How you'd be okay if two in the box works? How many would be okay if fifty percent of the light bulbs work? Yeah, I'm good. That's a half, uh, it's, like a, it's like instead of a half discount, it's like I'm paying a double the premium. <laughs> How many of you would want light bulbs in just one room of your house? Just one room. One room's good. All the other rooms work good with using a flashlight. Or just remembering, I know the coffee table's about here. Just remembering, I'm good Lights in one room is all we need. It's overkill to have lights in every room. Or maybe you do prefer to have light bulbs in every room. Of course you do. No, you want every light bulb to work as it was designed to work. And in each room that it lights up when you flip a switch. And Jesus wants every disciple to light up when he flips the switch of salvation. He didn't keep you on a cross, like, and didn't take you straight to paradise like the thief on the cross. He said, now i flip the switch. You need to work the way I've designed you to work, called you to work. Each believer to live for the very purpose he saved them, it's for his glory, his own good, his plans. But also, also we get something out of this deal. We get his peace. We get his help. We get His Holy Spirit. We get His provision. We get His direction. But others, we get to see their salvation. You'll never, if you've never seen someone get saved because of your life, I pray 2020 is the year you actually get to say, that person came to church because I invited them and I saw them get baptized. And now I'm even more sure than ever what I'm supposed to do with my life. If you've never been part of that, most Christians, like 95% of the people, I have never seen anyone get saved because of their personal life. I pray this is the year that you see one person come because of your life. But you have to be a disciple for that to happen. It's not going to happen. Hiding behind, well, I, went, I, I gave life to Jesus a year ago, years ago, and now I just try and keep that a secret till he comes and gets me. That's not even a good assurance, by the, by the way. But when it comes to discipleship, perhaps a better analogy for us would be a string of lights. Where none of the lights are actually broken, they're actually all workable. You ever had this? You, it's Christmas, we just, you just had, you're wrapping them around the tree, and all of a sudden they all go out. Now, you know they're not all out. So, what happened? One was loose. And God has sent me here for the next six weeks, if you're loose in the line, to retighten. <laughs> because they didn't all just suddenly, uh, now they can short out, but I've had them where everything's working great, and all of a sudden, poof! Half the tree is dark and half is light. I'm like, this isn't going to work. This doesn't look right. You start twisting each one. All of a sudden, you twist one, and they all come back on. You're actually an impact on people around you, whether you realize it or not. Your not being a light can affect those around you. God wants every light on the string to be lit up. Every single one of them. We have to be connected to the same power source. We all have to be plugged into the same power source. We all have to be tightened and actually say, Lord, this, this is important. We want to be grounded in you. But when they're each individually dressed and refitted, they can all come back on. That's what the Lord wants to do in us, in this fellowship. We're all connected. Whether you realize it or not, you're connected to people in you don't even know. I, I pray for people I've not even met. How about you? I know we're connected, even not just in this room, but the body of Christ larger around the world. But we're to be building each other up, encouraging one another in the call of discipleship. And we're to be lights in a very fallen world. We were saved out of it. And as a pastor, I believe the Lord has laid this series on my heart because he is calling us to become individually and as a church and even this building here on Genito, a little lighthouse a little hospital for people that are hurting i believe that's what god's called us to be in ephesians chapter 4 11 and 12 and he said and he gave some to be pastors and teachers why why jesus didn't need to do this he could have just wrote it in the sky why did he call some to be pastors and teachers? Here it is. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of what? Ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. That every light on the string would be lit up. That if there's one loose, you find where Jesus would leave the 99 and go find what? One. That they would all be safe, that they would all be doing what. Now, he's our shepherd, he's my shepherd. But he gives directions. And how does he give it? In his word. You'll never hear me get up and give my opinion. My opinion is worthless. So is yours, by the way. That's why you can st- spend less time on social media in 2020. Because everyone's got an opinion on something. But not of them, most of them are not spirit anointed, let me tell you. But if we follow the word, we can be built up. We can be edified. We can be strengthened. And that's my calling but it's also your calling among one another to build each other up, to strengthen one another. And all of this will bring about as we, as we say, Lord, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm committed to being a disciple. It'll bring about in us, l- l- listen to this, the joy of our salvation. seeks seeking after joy. They really pursue happiness. They think that because it's even written in our, our uh documents, the pursuit of happiness, well no it's not the pursuit of happiness, it's the receiving of joy from the Lord and the reality is this we're not going to find I'm going to tell you again, if, even if you never come back this year if you're visiting today and you never, I've never come back again. too much talk about discipleship, whatever uh, you never come back <laughs> or you say I don't want to hear this here's the reality I hope you remember this You're not going to find, I'm not going to find, we will not find genuine joy and peace apart from being disciples of Jesus. You will not find it. And if Jesus were to call you up and have this convo on a cloud again, and he says to you point blank, what Tim just said is 100% correct. You will never find peace and joy apart from being a disciple of me. You could argue with Jesus all day long, you will never be right. Send you back and you'll find peace. A bunch of things, but it won't be peace, and it won't be joy, and it won't be permanent. And the darkness around us, by the way, is not the problem. It's the absence of our light. There's plenty of darkness. It's the absence of light. matter of fact, uh, it, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, our family likes candles. Do You guys like these things. You, know, you buy them at Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever else, and they this flavor and this smell and this smell. So we had one lit up, and the house was all lit, and I didn't know a candle was on. I've gotten so used to smelling all these candles that I didn't even know a candle was on. I turned all the lights off, then I saw the candle was on. But only when I turned all the lights off could I see the candles burning. Darkness actually allows us to shine. It's not the problem. It's the absence of light. And the more God breaks chains in us, the more it's going to happen that he breaks chains outside these four walls. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. Much of what you see that's hate is actually fear. Much of what you see that's actually anger is actually fear. Much of what you see that's pain is actually fear. I pray that God breaks a lot of chains of fear. Uh, I struggle with fear at times. How about you? (coughs) But a scared world needs a fearless church. And you know what we need? We need a fearless Heavenly Father. And we have one. There's there's nothing God's afraid of. We're the only ones afraid. Jesus has never been afraid. I love the demoniac. It's just 1,000-plus demons in him. Everyone's petrified. Jesus strolls right up and says, "Give give Give me your name and where are you from? That kind of thing. Don't you want that kind of boldness that Jesus could send you anywhere and you'd say, I I know, I'm I'm going in the power of the Holy Spirit. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. Only disciples will develop perfect love, and when we become a disciple, and as we develop perfect love, it'll drive out fear. Everything we're afraid of, if it's stuff God's called us to, is a lie from Satan. Everything. Everything. And the 12 things we're looking at have all been called by God in your life and my life. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's only to say, Lord, help me to embrace these. I'm praying and believing for a powerful work of the Spirit these next six weeks. And I believe it will be a beautiful work as we see a CCR family full of disciples. Don't you think that'll be a beautiful work? Full of disciples, that gaps are filled that ministries are strengthened, that people are built up. Along these lines, um, earlier this week, we were down in Williamsburg one night earlier this week. In the family, we went down late afternoon, grabbed a meal, and, and uh, the historic Williamsburg Inn, is it's, it's adjacent to the colonial part. The colonial part is always dark because the, there's no cars in that part. It's, it's just a couple little candlelights, but the colonial part, right adjacent to it is the Williamsburg Inn, and it's just lit up. It looks like the Celestial City from a distance because everything else close to it is much, much darker. And you can walk straight up. There's a road that walks straight up out of the Colonial section, right out of Duke of Gloucester Street, right straight up to it. And my iPhone camera does not do justice. It looks 10 times better in person than this because you can't see all the individual lights. Very ornate. But our family, we walked up, and we're just kind of looking. You see... You can see, like, a kid and mom just staring at it. Beautiful with all these lights, perfectly placed, very ornate, all of them coordinated. It wasn't like someone just said, Let's just throw them up there. (laughs) Like I do to my bushes, I just throw them on there, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) No, everything was strategically placed. And God wants to take all of us as a light and strategically place us, not haphazardly. I have my place, you have your place but that we would actually be visible to the world around us. Jesus said, he said, I want to put you on a hill, like a city on a hill. I I want people to know that you believe my word, that you've been saved, that you're not ashamed of the name of Jesus. So they weren't trying to hide the building here. They were trying to accentuate it. And God wants to do that with us. He wants to place us as light, that we'd be visible, visible. And I saw these. You know, it's just beautiful. Be seen from a distance. Draw. It draws people in. It just draws people closer. They just start. They didn't. Have, I could tell out of towners weren't. You know, we, I knew it was there, and we wanted to walk up to it. But people that were out of town. Oh, what is that thing? You know that kind of. Oh, that's been there for years, and it's decorated like this every year. You want to stay a while when it looks that way. But the sum of the whole is greater than each individual light, right? How would it look if? Two thirds of the lights were out. Large portions are out. We would notice it still, but we'd wonder why it's even on in the first place. And that's what people say. There's so many hypocrites in the church. Half of y'all there aren't lights at all, the world says. And so they say, why do you even bother? That's what we would say if the building was half lit up, a third lit up, 10% lit up. We would say, why even bother? Just turn the whole thing off. That's what the world's been saying about the church. Why even bother? But if we're all lit up, they can't say that. All the lights on the string are connected. It'll have an unmistakable impact. Jesus wants to do a far greater work than any building wants every light to be lit up. Philippians 2.15, you see what it says there. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What it was then, it still is now, and maybe worse. Among whom you what? Shine as lights in the world. Jesus said, it's nothing new. It's rough in the Roman times. Worse from a persecution standpoint. But he said, I want you to shine. I want you to be disciples. I've called you to be disciples. That's the whole reason I didn't take you straight home on your day of salvation. I took you from phase one, so you're part of what? Phase two, which is to be his disciple. He wants to do a far greater work in us, in our church family, that changes and draws the community to him, but also builds and strengthens up us in this room. And as I close this morning, and we're going to be preparing to take of the Lord's Supper as I close, I just want to uh, put five things on the screen that kind of give you a um, focus of what we are focused on, you know, myself and the elders we've been praying about, and even, uh, even as it relates to some of the things I'm going to put, here, put up on the screen, we got on our knees and prayed, and the Lord put these things on my heart, and our leadership's heart. So we'll be doing this discipleship series. We're going to come back to the book of Hebrews. I'm looking forward. I think when we get back to Hebrews, you'll even treasure it and value it even more as we come to the final four chapters. But the next six weeks, today was an overview, kind of a why we're doing this in the first place. The next six weeks, two per week, we'll be doing the discipleship light series. I pray that you take notes. I pray that you take these things and say, Lord, I'm committing to these. Then I also want you to consider taking a rest from media and social media and maybe even TV. And I know you, I, I still have to use my laptop on Tuesdays. I still have to text people on Tuesdays. I'm not saying zero. I'm saying what you can fast from. Take a break. Don't even look at it on it. It's a time off on Tuesday For the whole month of January, you just say, on Tuesdays, I'm not checking that stuff. I'm just checking in with the Lord. I still have to work. I still might have to text the kids, hey, make sure you do this. That's fine. But you know which is which. The rest of it, just take the... Th- All of us take time off and instead use that same amount of time to open up your Bible at work or uh, say, hey, I, was gonna, I was about to check Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Instead, I'm not going to do it. It's a Tuesday. I'm going to take the whole day off and open up my Bible. And say, Lord, is there something you want me to... You might, that might be the day you invite someone to church. Or day someone says, would you pray for me? On Wednesdays, we're going to, every Wednesday night this month is going to be a prayer night. Well, one night is going to be a pray. two nights are going to be praise and worship and prayer. But prayer will be part of everyone, we'll be praying over these 12 areas. All 12 areas we'll be praying over. Every single Wednesday night will be, it'll be a night of prayer. And like I said, just twice, we'll also have some worship and we'll also have um, Uh, Some pray uh, one night that's really focused on praise, what things God has been doing in our life. But all of them will have prayer every Wednesday night. And we're also going to be fasting. For those of you that medically need to eat, that's fine. But find something else or uh, something you can fast from. But if you can fast from food, fast one meal, two meal. Fast the whole day. Maybe take that step of faith. We're talking about bold new steps. Say, Lord, I, I think I can do this with His help. So fasting uh, food-wise on Wednesday and praying each Wednesday night. Uh, Number four, uh, I would ask you to be praying and seeking for your own personal change in fashion. Maybe the Lord highlights of the 12 things we're looking at. The Lord shows you something you need to start doing differently in your life. We'll we'll look at uh, certain parts of the teaching where I believe God wants the body of Christ to simplify their life for the cause of Christ. We've allowed our lives to get so complex that we really mean it when we tell people, I'm too busy. Jesus, if he had to say that to the woman at the well or Nicodemus, and by the way, Nicodemus came to him at night, so Jesus could have said, uh, it's bedtime, my friend. I've got to get some shut-eye here. I do not have time for your nonsense knocking on my door. We wouldn't have John 3.16 if Jesus didn't say, I have time. So we've got to stop with some of those excuses that we give to each other and to God and say, Lord, show me the personal changes that need to take place in me. I don't know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. God's already given me a list to start to work on. And by the way, he has a list for you too. God, when God does mid-year reviews, there's always something to work on. Amen? So there's going to be things that he wants us to so start to pray. Lord, show me those areas that you want me to person address. And then last, uh, be praying. My, my desire is that every single person here decides, Lord, I'm going to be your disciple. I might fail some. I might skin my knees some. But I'm going to be your disciple. And this is something that elders know I've been thinking about this for five years. We're nowhere near it. I pray this year we actually not only hit it, but we blow past it. That we literally have 20 men and 20 women. We will train you. We will make the time that you are trained to, to be able to disciple someone. So anytime we say, we have a new person that's come to church, they just moved here from Nevada, blah, 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 they just got saved, whatever it may be, we need someone to disciple them that we could pull from a pool of 20 men or 20 women, and we would find one, and so we would not have everyone, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. All the way down the line, that we'd actually have people say, I can do that. Because I'm already committed to being a disciple. I'm personally discipling a few people right now in my life. And so, we, but we need the bandwidth of more. Jesus said, I, I want you to multiply. Amen? And the year is 2020, and it'd be a great year. to. So if we blew past it, that would just be icing on the cake, that we actually had more than that. 20 men, 20 women. So, but I wouldn't want them to be doing it unless they actually were disciples, right? How many of you would want to learn from a surgeon that is not a surgeon? You want to learn? Jesus said, blessed are if you do these things. So we need those that are actually... I don't, I'm not talking about just doers of stuff. I'm talking about people that do it in the strength and the obedience of Christ. And so I, I know, I can look in this room, I could point to people I know for a fact are already disciples... I would trust them implicitly to say, here's so-and-so. Can you meet with them and start helping them? I would trust them implicitly. Others, I don't know you well enough to say, I don't, I, I'd have to get to know you. i have to know what your walk with Christ looks like. But we want to see 20 and 20, and I believe that God has more than that. And I believe if that happens, we could see many people grow, get saved, come to faith. This is, this is everything Jesus has been in my heart for like nine months. I've been holding it back, if you will. Till this year, that we'd have a clean, fresh start. So we'll be focused on these things. Let's uh, let's pray, and then we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. With your heads bowed, I want to ask you one question: Do you believe, no matter what I said or didn't say, do you believe? That Jesus has called you to be a disciple. If you do, raise your hand. My hand's up. You believe Jesus has called you to be a disciple. I'm not even looking around and see every hand's raised, but if your hand's not raised, that's uh, I can tell you right now. He has. You can put them down. He's called you to be a disciple. Over the next six weeks. I pray you make this hard, firm decision. My life first, Second Timothy one twelve. Is I know whom I have believed in, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've what committed. Because I didn't die on the day of my salvation, June nineteen ninety five. I've since then, June nineteen ninety five. This coming year. This year is me and Sarah's 25th anniversary of being saved. On the same day, June of 1995, uh, probably do something that day, teach something. But because I didn't pass away the very day I got saved, then I've had to be committed ever since then to being a disciple. And I would have long since blown the whole thing up if it wasn't for he is able to what? Keep that which I've committed. And so would you. Most of you would have already destroyed your testimony a thousand times over. But if you really meant business with God, he helps you keep it. Amen? Doesn't help he 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 allows you to fail sometimes in certain ways just so you know how much you need him. That's a fact. But not fatal failures. Does that make sense? They're not fatal flaws. They're little things that he or sometimes even more than little, but they are meant to show us. I'm the one that keeps you. So if you make the commitment in this series to say, Lord, from now on, I'm going to, by your grace, be your disciple. He'll help you keep it. And you'll grow in those areas. And if you already are a disciple, you're going to grow in all 12 areas, I hope, and pray. So as we bow our heads, just talk to the Lord. Take a few moments. Ask him to cleanse you. Thank him for the cross. Start to tell them now. Don't wait. Say, Lord, I'm committing to being a disciple of Jesus starting today, January 5th, 2020. And if you're here and you with our heads bowed and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you say, hey, I, I'm not a disciple yet because I've never even asked him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone that says, I, I don't know Jesus yet. I've never been saved. I've not been converted. I've not had my sins forgiven. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If we all know the Lord, he's calling us to full surrender. I promise you, again, I'm not trying to use the illustration to uh, somehow talk you into it. I'm trying to tell you that absolutely as sure as I'm standing here, Because the word says it. I know if you met Jesus face to face and you saw his nail pierced hands and feet, he would tell you point blank, you need to follow me fully for your good and for my glory. Positive. Do you believe that?